we've got a prime opportunity um, to change the way that we engage people and how we put employers at the heart of the skills system. So as a chamber, we're really proud to be the employer representative body that's leading the local skills improvement plan. Education, whether it's school or university or both, is only the foundation. Uh, and you can get an amazing foundation, but if you build a shed on it, you're only ever going to have a shed. Don't chase the technology. Yeah. Make sure you're using the technology to enable and resolve the problem. We've got labour shortages, so why on earth are we not implementing technology to you know, boost productivity, make us more competitive? We can look at fate and just assume that whatever we do, fate's going to happen. But I think sometimes you have to lend it a hand, or it brings you an opportunity, but you've got to take that. Welcome back to another episode of Success is a System. This morning I'm here with Charlotte Horobin, the new CEO of the Chamber of Commerce for Cambridgeshire. Uh, Charlotte, pre previous to that, was with Make UK uh, and has had a great career and experience in working with multitude of businesses, the issues that they have to face uh, and how they interact with government and how government policy affects those businesses. So I'm really looking forward to getting into some questions around uh, what systems businesses can use, what supports and networks there are out there for business, a little bit of specific stuff on the Chamber of Commerce, but mostly it's about Charlotte. Tell us first, Charlotte. Firstly, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Um, tell us about Charlotte the person before we get into all of that. You know, upbringing, brothers, sisters, mum, dad, where did you grow up? Was it, was it really tough? Was it comfortable? Give us a bit of your uh, whirlwind up, uh, uh, version of your upbringing. Right, okay. Well, I was born in Yorkshire with a bit of a bang, so very proud of my Yorkshire roots. Really irritates my husband, actually. Um, and I was a surprise. My mum had me relatively um, young, so she was decorating a house, went into hospital with appendicitis and actually woke up to find sort of, you know, Charlotte waving okay. back at her. That was quite interesting. Um, I think they say that it takes a village to raise a child, and that was definitely true. So I was blessed with brilliant grandparents, um, a really strong cast of aunts and uncles and, and cousins. Um, and I'd say, yeah, it was an interesting childhood throughout my sort of earlier years. Um, my mum uh, ran pubs, so we moved basically every year. So every year during primary school, I had a, a different primary school, wow. maybe got me used to networking in my career of the future. Um, in my sort of early teens, we we then moved from sort of the northwest where a lot of the pubs were down to Lincolnshire, which really became home then for the next couple of decades. Um, and I went to a, a school that was supposed to be kind of a short-term fix. I didn't realise it at the time, but sort of three years prior to me starting, it was the second worst school in the country. Oh. And it was probably quite good that I didn't know that it that kind of badge was there because actually um, it was a bit nerdy. I, I was head girl, I was house captain. I did really well, you know, got some sharp yeah. results. But that was really because I had great teachers. Um, and I guess another key facet of growing up was the fact that um, I joined the Air Cadets. So I was a member of the Air Training Corps because oh. I'd always had an ambition from a young age to join the Royal Air Force. So I guess that was sort of Charlotte growing up, went off to university and, and that's me in a snapshot, I guess. So I'd love to un unpick uh, some of that. I mean, firstly, I love your point about um, it was one of, the, one of the worst schools, but you, you weren't aware of it. And I often say, you know, kids in poverty don't know their poverty. They're just living their normal life. It is normal to them. And actually, even trekking in, say, Nepal, when you've got people living on a dollar a day, they're sometimes happier because they don't know what they haven't got. And they can just fully um, in, enjoy 
everything's a blessing that they do get kind of thing. And and actually, you know, there's been lots of studies that say if you tell this class they're super, they're the super yeah. intelligent class and tell these guys they need extra support, they almost grow into those beliefs. But uh, And I completely agree with the um, great teacher thing. You know, uh, education, as a doctor of education, uh, and I'm really proud for that award, it was really key to me. Not I went to a terrible school, but after that, I learned the power of education, the importance of education, and I do believe in lifelong learning. But when I asked people, what was your favourite subject at school or which teacher did you like best? Invariably, the two go hand in hand, that a teacher brought something to life or a teacher saw something in somebody uh, and they just grew that. And teachers who want to teach and want to find the way to best connect with and teach a child, are, they're invaluable but there are also some terrible teachers that are just wanting 16 weeks, 18 weeks holiday and to, and to earn a job for a sort of nine to five. So what was it about the teachers and were there any particular teachers that still are fresh in your mind and, and, yeah. and what passion did they ignite in you? I think it's far easier for me, you know, I'd probably say there was one or two, the kind of roads that you describe, should they really have been teaching on the whole? They were all really committed to seeing us succeed um, there had been a new sort of headmaster promoted from within the school. So, you know, they knew that the badge was there, but I think they had a really unified ambition that they wanted to make sure that the generation coming through had great opportunities. Um, I had a religious education teacher called Mr. Angel, yeah. um, Mick Angel, who was um, from the States. He was just phenomenal the way that he, um, you know, he took us over to France, nothing to do with RE, but he wanted to give us different experiences had a brilliant English teacher, Mr. Hegarty. He used to take me to the golf course because, you know, he recognised there was something in me that, you know, we can't offer golf in this school. But do you know what? If there's a handful of kids, I'm going to go do that. Phenomenal geography teacher, you know, quite a powerful lady, uh, Mrs. Dunn. I think she be became Mrs. Horn in the end. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just one or two. And a really a big nod, I guess, to my electronics teacher, Mr. Hornsby, ex-chief technician from the Air Force, um, I really responded to his way of working because I liked the discipline. I liked being told what was right or wrong. Um, I always remember my first term getting a really poor grade on something. I never did it again. But yeah. rather than being softly, softly, and and he came out to see me during my work experience at RF Wittering. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, a real strong personal support, but not afraid to tell you when things could yeah. be better either. That tough love, really important. No, I think that that, that is crucial as well. And, um I was listening to a piece a week or so ago where um, a psychologist was saying, stop telling kids they're winners if they're not. You know, when they win, support it, encourage it, reward it. When they do even well towards a win, support it, encourage it, reward it. But if they do a bad job or if they do less than you know they can do, you don't have to say you're a loser but don't make it okay when you know that they haven't put the effort in. And and I think this growing up... you know. Uh, it, it sometimes parents can be too hard, teachers can be too hard, but we don't do our kids any favours. And I think, you know, woke and snowflake has become overused and, and it's not nice, really. I use it myself. I don't mind sometimes, but it it's it's sort of become a thing because I think we've been a bit soft with uh, that. Like we've we got to tell them they're great all the time or we can't tell them no or we've got to let them stay up because it's not fair to smack them or put them to bed. Don't believe in smacking, but, but you know, our kids went to bed at seven o'clock, you know, until they were about 14 uh, and it was really strict. And that was about us having our sanity uh, because we needed some time on our own and we needed to get some sleep. But uh, 
too many parents aren't par- parenting and too many teachers aren't teaching. And I think some of that teaching element is just a few examples you gave. Um, it was teachers going outside of some defined boundary. And I think teachers are terrified these days. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't teach that. I can't treat him any different, even though I know he needs something a bit different. Or I can't give her this extra encouragement, even though I know she needs that extra encouragement. And I think they're just almost frozen in this uh, overly prescribed, overly defined, completely restricted way of teaching. There's so many, I mean, so many boundaries wrapping our educators up, I think, in knots. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I always saw um, through members at Make UK, and the same is true absolutely in um, our chamber membership, is skills is such a challenge. But I made it a personal mission not to throw stones from the sidelines and actually educate myself as to what what were the true boundaries. Yeah. Um, and one of the best things I did actually for my own career development, um, in a you know to a degree a selfish point, I was there for the right reasons. But I became a trustee. Um, of two specialist science, technology and engineering schools. Yeah, no, that, yeah. um, and that was really important for me to actually understand, you know, what are the budget constraints? What are the staffing issues? What are the curriculum challenges? What are the challenges that the, you know, the young people, our students and their parents are up against? And yeah, there's definitely two sides to the coin. There is. And, and as you were saying, one of the things I'll often say in businesses or organisations is that constitution or is it convention? Because often people say, well, we can't do that, we can't do this. And when you delve in, you realise there are no rules that say you can't do it, but convention has become that we just don't do that. Or, and the belief, you know, even down to funds, we might have funds, but we don't spend the sp- funds. You know, surely they're there to be spent and, 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 and to grow like that. You talked about your teacher that... Um, grew the passion for engineering and and uh, I guess that led to your air corps passion as well um, tell us a little bit about that because I think when one of the first conversations we had you'd uh, had an interest in becoming a fast jet pilot yeah. as well T- yeah. tell us about uh, where that passion came from and why you what you did towards it and what sort of turned you into a different direction yeah it was an obsession definitely from a pretty young age so Flipping back to the kind of cool cast of, of aunts and uncles, my mum's younger sister, Sarah, um, was physio for the Red Arrows um, oh, right, in okay. sort of the mid-90s. Um, and, and she went on to meet my uncle, who was a regiment officer as he was going through Cranwell. And they became so influential in my life. But one of the benefits of um, having Sarah as really a bit more of an older sister than a, an aunt, she, as the physio to the Red Arrows, got me a Sort of behind the scenes briefing. I was about nine years old and I rem- remember it so well. You got to sit with the Reds, hear the briefing that they had for the day before they went, um, you know, off on sort of the, the training session for the afternoon. I was there with my grandmother, you know, one of my definite um, <clears throat> big supporters in my life. Um, and I remember asking the question, you know, sort of short Charlotte with a huge fringe, why is, why is there no ladies? I just didn't see the barrier. I guess you don't at nine years old. And I didn't see that as a problem. It wasn't a, oh, well, there's no one that looks like me, so I can't do this. So I thought, right, I know. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Um, I just became very focused on it. I spent probably a lot of my early years in a red arrows flying suit, you know, out in the garden, mucking about with the dogs, playing sport. Um, but then, you know, it was very clear that come 13, I joined the closest squadron that I could and did really well through the air training corps. And again, I always lean and think that was one of the most influential things in my life. I got to travel to different countries. I got to play um, sports nationally. I got to learn discipline. 
um, mixed with a different group of kids as well. Yeah. Um, and it was just, and probably one of the key things, you end up with a kind of mini military leadership during your teenage years from 13 to 20. You are taught military leadership yeah, and, yeah. and wow. How phenomenal is that? And interesting as you're saying that, and we're sitting here the day after the uh, Tory conference and uh, not going to get into politics because, uh, as we've often said, it's not about right or left, it's about right or wrong. But one of the things that Rishi has said is that you're going to do more maths and you can do more English and they're really important. And I would never say they're not. But what what I thought about as a kind of potential uh, negative byproduct of that is it's more of the classroom. It's more that kind of get back in the class, do the academic stuff, maybe not fully understanding the extent to which that French trip, that that Air Corps training yeah. or combined cadet force or joining a club that is more creative or, or sporty uh, can have on a child. And it just reminded me, as you were saying, about uh, there used to be a motivational speaker called Don Clifton. And he tells the story of how the animals are looking at the humans and thinking they've got so much more than we've got. You know, they've got houses and it's warm in the winter and it, it's cool in the summer. And, and they, they go to the shops and they get food. They don't have to hunt for it and so on. And uh, what are they doing differently? And the animals come to the conclusion that what they're doing differently is they're going to school. They're learning stuff. So they say, right, we're going to have animal school. And uh, long story short, but let's say we just took the, the squirrel and the rabbit and the duck and they go to school and say, right, First thing we're going to do is swimming, and the duck thinks, fantastic. He's got a natural flair for it. He jumps in and he's paddling away, making it look graceful and easy. The rabbit's getting nervous. You know, he's never been in water. He doesn't like the sound of water. He's worried about drowning. And he jumps in, he's splashing away. His, his fur gets wet and it starts to pull him down. He's panicking, uh, and he comes out and then okay, yeah, catches his breath back and says, right, now we're going to do running. The rabbit thinks, at last, something I can do kind of thing. So he runs around. He's getting his mojo back he's enjoying it uh the duck is kind of keeps tripping over himself he can waddle but when he tries to run it's not quite working and then the next thing is tree climbing well you know other than the squirrel they both struggle <laughs> with that sort of thing well we get to the end of the first day say right let's review the day what's been good duck you're such a good swimmer you don't need to do as much <laughs> swimming in fact you were terrible at the running and you're tree climbing you're terrible so you're going to do double running tomorrow uh rabbit you know great on that running um you're going to have to do double swimming tomorrow because you're really bad at it. We're going to grow your competence. And, you know, by the end of the week, the duck's webbed feet are all torn because he's been running and, and it's catching. He's not natural for it to the point that he can't even really swim anymore. The rabbit is so depressed because he's terrified every time he thinks about the water, let alone gets in the water, that he hasn't even got the motivation to run anymore. And sometimes this, we're going to force you to do extra because you're weak as opposed to let's find your passion, let's find your strength, let's focus more on what you naturally can do and want to do uh, and let's really go for that. And that that worries me a little bit that, you know, we are becoming more obsessed about the academics. Do I think we need a good understanding of English and maths? Absolutely. But equally, I know lots of millionaires and billionaires that can hardly read or write and they employ people who can do some of that stuff. So it it's not quite as crucial to be A-level maths or a genius in maths or, or science. It's good if you can, but if you can't or don't want to, maybe you've got skills elsewhere. Uh, and what we're seeing less and less of, certainly in state schools, and it's it's one of the reasons why I'm still a big advocate of, uh, uh, and even though I went to a terrible school, my daughter's going, is because there were lots of trips. They really got involved. 
from 13 they had no choice but to either help a charity half a day a week or to get involved in combined cadet force and that was about going out survival working as a team all of these things and and yet that's becoming more and more diminished in state schools i think because we've got to get our kids to a certain academic level uh and yet just hearing you talk it seems that many of your passions they would have required the academia but it wasn't the forced academia that 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 kind of got you to where you are i suspect it was if i want to do that i've got to do this and that's a different drive to being told you've got to do that i think yeah i, I wish someone had said to me especially during gcse's these are a ticket to get you onto the next stage you know great if you can get an a star yeah. but you know what? if you get a b it's it's you know it's what you need to be able to progress and actually what's really important is those extracurricular activities those <clears> great experiences um i guess a de- one of the benefits of my mum having me relatively young is that I've now got um, some much younger siblings and, and actually the okay. youngest, um, Amelia, she's now 14. And I'm yeah. saying to her now, right, go get work experience. Let's get you Duke of Edinburgh done together. Let's play tennis together. I said, they're the things that as an employer, I'll be looking at yeah, from exactly. you. I don't necessarily care if you've got an A star or a B, but what I do care about is, are you a team player? What interests have you got? Can you solve yeah, problems? Yeah. Are you a hard worker? So, you know, she comes, she started coming to the odd business event with me and wow, she's so confident, you know, she's going to be something very special. And you get that from those things, I think more than the the classroom. And you're right, you know, when I've I've employed thousands of people over the years, but what we look for is, yeah, they're really clever. Have they done a job? Did they have a paper round? Did they have a summer job? Did they work in a pub? Have they got any experience at all? Because what I want to know is that they can get up at a certain time, that when they come in, they know a bit about the work environment. So uh, in one of my businesses particularly, I would I would only ever employ second jobbers. And people might say, that's terrible. You shouldn't do it. But some of the first jobbers in the early years would say, that's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? Because we told them off for being half hour late. Oh, well, I couldn't get up this morning. I was really tired. Well, so was I, but I got up at, uh, you know, ungodly hour o'clock um, and needed them to to know that they've understood the difference between the home and the fully managed school environment and the self-responsibility of a work environment. And, and kids who have done a job, even if it's a paper round or a Saturday job, already have captured that. I think there's a, a huge point about respect there. I used to... Um, tell my housemates at university and myself that you know we weren't poor both my parents work exceptionally hard and um but one of the things I'd always say was even if we did have heaps of cash I'm pretty sure my mum would still have me going out and earning my own crust because she felt it was really important and I always remember one of my housemates saying oh you don't have a dishwasher at home do you because you wash the pots really well oh come on um and now I see you know what a great benefit it, it was to have those coffee shop jobs to work in the bar because I think it then means that you've got that empathy and humility that as your career grows, you know, you respect everybody for all of the roles and responsibility that they play. You don't the have that. Yeah, the, yeah. You, you know, you don't turn your nose at, up at the, you know, the, the person that might be doing a, a role that, you know, people might have a certain perception of. I certainly know I've had certain career success because I've, I've just been nice and been human and treat somebody with respect that might have been the you know, executive assistant yeah. or the person that on the face of it looked like the receptionist, but actually they're really important people with great skill sets to an organisation and, and everybody yeah. has to be treated with respect. And you said about pubs as well. And uh, I suspect growing up in a pub, 
you see, you know, how hard that can be work-wise, but also the people skills is incredible. If you can get, if any teenager uh, or can get a job in a pub, in a coffee shop, in something where there's customer service going on, where there's all sorts of different characters coming in, you see good behavior, you see bad behavior, you see the difference to how you feel about that behavior. And and I think we're just not, some not having a job hasn't prepared some people for that. Um, and it's terrible because I was talking to one of my daughters recently, she's doing an internship, um, she's done several, but one of them had said, um, oh yeah, uh, you just log in, what do you mean I'm not going to come to the office? Oh no, well we can't, people only come into the office twice a week, so if you came into the office we could only give you a two day a week internship. Um, and you think, well that's not real, is it? And you know, if my work experience is sitting at a computer, that's not really work experience, because part of it was all that interaction yep. and, and so on. Uh Anyway, she went somewhere else, but but the, I worry for children today that some of the homeworking and some of the transition, although I think we need a blend, is such that it's getting harder and harder for them to get that experience. And part of that experience is knowing what they do or don't like, because they could be working towards this whole career without a real understanding of whether they're, they're going to like a career when they get their first job. You know? Yes, yeah, it's, it's those um, human emotion qualities isn't it the emotional intelligence of being able to sit in a room and to see the body language and understand what you're doing and, and how that's making other people yeah. respond um i know i i recruited a key person during the pandemic you know we did the interviews in the sort of january and the february 2020 um the pandemic then struck and the you know the job offer meant that they began sort of slightly um just after it was probably april may and for 18 months i was very lucky because of a highly talented very resilient um, but I did reflect that actually bringing in a new generation of people aside from this individual would be really difficult because they didn't become part of a team. Yeah, they yeah. they didn't have that chance to bounce ideas off. And, and definitely for the new generation coming through, it's it's not a great environment. And I think it will diminish skill sets of, you know, the wider, you know, perhaps the more um, experienced working population moving forward. Well, and loneliness and, uh, and interaction with humans. We're a pack animal. It's kind of crucial. Yeah. but. So moving on, because I'm conscious, I, I could keep talking about uh, certainly education and those formative years uh, in detail, because I, I think it's where we are made or, or hurt yep. most. But so we go on, you, you're going to be a pilot, but yep. then you go, does that change when you go to uni and you get more into the engineering? What what um, what what changed? So I, I left the mixed comprehensive school and I went to uh, what was an all girls grammar um, Thatcher was probably the most famous lady to walk out of those gates. So it's quite no, a special okay. place. It's, it's a bit like Hogwarts and, and the girls and the community and the friendship groups that you develop there are, are really phenomenal. Um, but also it challenges you. You know, you've come from being sort of the, the top person perhaps in one environment to actually, you know, you might be middle of the pack because this is yeah. a high performing crowd. So that challenges you a little bit. Um, throughout sort of sixth form and university, I applied for um, sort of bursaries and scholarships going to the Air Force um, and listening to your interview with Andy Offer, who was yeah. actually one of the reds in the room that I sat in back in the late 90s, which is, yeah, really interesting. Um, but went through those selection processes and Andy, I know, described that there's a degree of luck you need to be able to 
you know, rub your tummy, pat your head and be a certain kind of ergonomic and you know, your body needs to meet a, a certain size and yeah. my arms and my legs and, you know, my bum to my head are not particularly where they need to be. So um, pilot was becoming a, a bit of a uh, uh, interesting when they do this kind of psychometric test. The first time round, I was told the one thing you're really not going to be very good at is air traffic control. But actually, a couple of years later, air traffic control became kind of the, the option in the Air Force that yeah. they said, think about this. But in the end, um, the recommendation was, look, go to university, uh, get a good degree, enjoy yourself um, and come back. But really interestingly, I I always boast myself I was ahead of the curve. My mum was taking me up to Leeds University for an open day. And on the way there, she said, you're not really that interested in this. I said, no, mum, I'd, I'd much rather join the Air Force and yeah. put letters before my name rather than after my name and get a degree later on. But at the time, this concept of either later learning or degree apprenticeship wasn't really the flavour of the day and, and a bit of society pressure. And, you know, I don't blame my mum at all. She had great ambition. She saw I was, you know, well performing at school. Please go and get an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I, I went off to university. Thanks for listening to Success is a System. We release a new episode every fortnight with fantastic guests. For more great content, like subscribe and share. See you all next time on Success is a System. And um, you, you mentioned there later learning. And, you know, we've got, I think there's three phases, isn't there? There's sort of school when you have no choice but to go, if you like. Then there's uh, further education, I think, university. I think the dynamic changes somewhat because you do have a choice to be there. You might society might put pressure yeah. on you, but you don't have to be there yeah. as such. Um, and then the thing for me, because uh, much as I'm obsessive, it, certainly passionate, if not obsessive, about is education. But it's getting across this point that I think that education, whether it's school or university or both, is only the foundation uh, and. You can get an amazing foundation, but if you build a shed on it, you're only ever going to have a shed. You know, yeah. if you get a bad foundation, you can try and build something amazing on it, but it's probably going to be unstable or you're going to be limited by what you can put on it. Whereas if you say, I'm going to get as good a foundation as I can, but the real building, the palace or, or the, the life, the home, the, 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 the rest of my life is going to be built on what I build on that foundation. And so, you know, I try and get across to people all the time about how much time have you spent on self-development this week, this month, this year? How much money have you spent on self-development this week, this month, this year? And if you're not growing, then in real terms, you're shrinking because the world is changing uh, and we need new skills to live in the new world. But clearly you're always, uh, I mean, I see you're sort of developing, looking at new new areas, new skills, new things in, in the business, in the chamber. Yeah. Um, where is was that your was that did that come from your mom did that come from uni where does this desire to develop improve it's not just ambition it, it, it's a because lots of people have ambition but they don't realize the need to re-educate grow education and keep learning on that I think being curious is you know I, I get really interested um, about things that perhaps might not interest the average Joe. Um, so I, I'm always keen to ask questions and, you know, have to sometimes stop myself interrogating people when I've, I first met them. And I sort of describe my career to date as, as being sort of a, the most phenomenal free MBA you could wish for because I spent my career sat down with some of the most amazing business leaders and their teams, understanding what are their challenges and, and how are they trying to adapt and fix it. And it's kind of given me the most amazing playbook yeah. that A, I hope that we can, you know, support our members when they've got those challenges because I've probably already heard it three or four or five 
at other times and we can then connect them to similar businesses without fear of competition. Um, and it's all about that power of connectivity. Now, I'm always challenging myself, well, what does the chamber look like in five to 10 years? You know, we've got artificial, yeah. artificial intelligence uh, really coming through. But the thing I think, you, you know, you can't disrupt. I can, I guess now I've got a different perspective because I'm also the leader of a small business and I can Google the questions and I can find the answers. But yeah. actually, what really interests me is the ability to pick up the phone to one of our amazing board directors or one of the chief execs at another chamber to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What's your experience and what's your advice? Because it's never like the textbook, is yeah, it? Yeah. No, and and that brings up, you know, we were saying earlier, but there's not many days and certainly no weeks that ever pass without me talking about the value of networking, the power of a conversation, the face to face. And I was looking at some research for another presentation I'm doing just yesterday. uh, And there's all sorts of research by lots of universities and different business areas that talk about, uh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll share them in a future post. It's something like we are seven times more likely to do business with someone we actually meet face to face rather than uh, over a, a Zoom or a call, and that we um, businesses that that net business and business leaders that had networking as a core part of their business did double the turnover. Um, And salespeople who met face-to-face as opposed to a call center were 228 uh, or 228 times more earnings than those that that thought they could do it by email or face uh, or or internet or call and so on. So there is no doubt and there is a huge amount of evidence to support the need for that voice call then that face-to-face absolutely and then networking and and then I looked further into so if meeting a person is so much more powerful than speaking or emailing a person how does the environment change and then there were things like if you could do it over food because in a way food is family food is love Mm -hmm. that you know uh, talking about we connect at a different level because since time began that celebration of food was a key part so if you can involve a coffee is the f- sort of first step. But if it was over a meal, there was something like twice the, the connection between people. Wow. So, you know, this thing about, oh, yeah, shouldn't have to have a, a, a lunch or a breakfast or a dinner. But I know one of my business partners, there's very few meetings he doesn't do that aren't over breakfast, lunch or dinner. Yeah. Um, and I see that success come through. People automatically relax in that environment. There is this kind of, it's just different. We're, because we're used to having food with those that we're closest to, we sort of open up in a different way once we're in a food environment. So uh, networking, it's a big part of Chamber. Absolutely. Um, and big part of what you used to do in Make UK. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you went from uni into your career, how that evolved, because you're only a few months into uh, Chamber of Commerce, yeah. and we're glad that you're there, very glad. But tell us about that stage of your, of your yeah. journey. So I, I guess two things happened during my uni years that were pretty significant. My first year driving home, um, unfortunately, a, a drunk lorry driver drove into the back of my car at 60 miles an hour. Nice. Um, and all the confidence at the air training corps and, you know, a good kind of academic history had built into me really was sort of shaken out and well done to my mum because she put me back in a car and I remember it so vividly um, and she made me drive. And I remember doing about 35 miles an hour, really, you know, sweat dripping off me as white and pale as you can imagine. And she wanted to make sure I didn't lose my independence. Um, fast forward then to my last year of uni. Um, I'd, I mean, my grandparents, as I say, had played a huge role in my life. And 
my mother's father, um, he'd had three daughters and I always thought I was almost the, the son he didn't have. So, you know, granddad had brought me up watching lots of rugby. I'd played rugby going back to university um, and my family had said, please don't, you know, play much more into your last term. And it was the day before I started my dissertation. Um, I broke my leg up in Newcastle really significantly, <clears throat> a couple of operations and, and luckily they saved my leg. But again, that to a degree, not a bit of confidence, made life a little bit harder. University really tried not for me to come back that year. And I said, no, I really can't afford yeah. to pay you another set of fees. I'm going to come back on crutches and I will make it work. I did. I graduated um, that summer. But then that meant I was on crutches. So I thought, well, do you know what? I'll go and do a master's. Everybody seems to have a degree. How do I stand out in the crowd? And actually, my options were to a point limited. Um, it was a great chance to... Um, get to know my three-year-old little sister much, much more then. So we go off and, you know, explore. Um, but actually then I started to, as I got fitter, pick up lots of the kind of post-university jobs. You know, I used to open the coffee shop on Newark train station five o'clock on a Monday mm. morning. That's a tough gig. Um, I'd be, you know, Saturdays working at weddings, doing catering. Um, I went to work for a rapeseed oil manufacturer. One of the coolest things I did was I bumped into a chat with a big bushy beard. Um, when I had my broken leg, he asked me what I'd done. I asked him what he was doing with his bushy beard. He was raising money for help for heroes, and he was a he was a shepherd. Uh-huh. He's got himself a new pup. I saw that 4,000 sheep you yeah. used to look after so, or something. So, you know, red rag to a boy. He said, well, you know, it's really interesting sort of life and career, but, you know, you can't do it because you're, you're a woman. I said, oh, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. And I went to work for him for a bit. Um, inherited my first company car so I still got my old girl um border collie at home today um and that was fascinating because there's rich in life and there's rich in life I learned a lot of life lessons by doing that and then at one point I you know I'd applied to do jobs like dropping off the yellow pages my outgoings were more than what I was bringing in I'd come out of university I was feeling pretty demoralized and just thought you know this really can't have been what it was all for and really trying to find your kind of compass again and I saw a job advert for the Engineering Employers Federation. Um, it sounded really diverse. I'm not particularly good at doing one focused thing behind a desk. I need to be out and about and sort of having variety. Um, and I was very lucky. I was recruited by a very forward-thinking, open-minded chap called Richard Halstead, who um, in the organization, they benefited from people with decades of experience in manufacturing. And he said, no, I want to do things differently. I want to bring some yeah. um, less experienced people in and nurture them and mentor them. And the chief executive at the time gave him the green light to to do the trial. And it was a massive success. And I was a great beneficiary of the fact that Richard had come from the automotive industry. Uh, he was ex-Lucas, but that meant he had the kind of maybe 80s management training that maybe you don't see so profoundly and the training the commercial acumen just the discipline and the great leadership that he gave me was such sound foundations to then go and grow my career through EEF that then turned into Make UK. And I think you know there's there's loads of things we could do a whole podcast on that you mentioned there but the training is a massive thing with uh, small businesses and you know uh, I'm always saying to people, it's 5.6 million businesses in the UK, 4 million of them have no employees. The next 1.2 have 0 to 10 employees. 
most of those business do little or no training. They, they're in the hope they could get someone who's had training elsewhere, exploit that training. But then by the time the person leaves that job in a few years, they're almost worse than when they came because they didn't grow that person. And yet when part of the attraction to big companies is you get trained and trained and trained and you actually feel you're, you're growing, not just growing in income, but growing as a person every year that passes. And, you know, I know that the chamber are really committed to, uh, teaching what's important and poli- people policies and th- whether it's um, uh, import and export and, and the things that are important to grow business. Uh, with training, what, uh, and I know some of the answer, but it's a good opportunity. What can the chamber do to help an SME develop their, their policies, their people, their training uh, and some of the skill sets that are beyond maybe the core skill of a business? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Our raison d'etre is to champion the success of business. Um, And for me, that really starts with that kind of industrial councillor piece, you know, um, SME, small business, startup, tell us what your issues are, because they'll be similar to others. um, And that's the power of the community that we're able to connect businesses with similar challenges that don't compete, because that's so powerful. Um, but we've got a broad network. The chances are if we all we don't offer something within the chamber and we offer such a wealth of yeah. support, experience, training, <clears> advice <throat> um, within our membership, the chances are actually another key benefit of being part of that kind of motley crew is the fact that we know so many other people. So if it's not already there in the chamber, A, we need to think about how we adapt and evolve because we're owned by our members and we'll yeah, continue yeah. to do that. But the chances are we're so well connected with colleges, universities, independent training providers, great people that have set out their own um, businesses to offer that leadership and development that when you look at their CVs, you know, they've come from Formula One teams, they've ran some of the biggest HR departments around the world, but we've got the beauty of having them as, you know, an independent advisor within our community. That's so powerful. And, you know, on the on the training and the, the development, just being part of a chamber because of the networking and, and all the other things that go on, people tend to they they hear stuff they see other businesses they realize oh we're not doing that we're not doing that so but almost by osmosis they'll start to question the way they do things but i remember when i was particularly working in retail lots of small stores so uh, acs uh, and i was a board member for 20 years twice chairman uh, and it was 33 and a half thousand small stores in the uk that we represented and it, i remember someone saying to me mike i know you keep rattling on about training but you know, what if we train them and all, then they leave because the supermarkets are stealing all of our staff all the time. So, yeah, it's okay you saying about training, but if we train them and they leave, uh, we've wasted all that money. And it still rings because uh, a boss had said a similar thing to me years before. And it was, what if you don't train train them and they stay? And they stay. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so yeah. now you've got these untrained people that aren't evolving, that are kind of fixed in their ways. Yep. And your whole future is based on it. And, you know, and I, and I see that so often that people have got um, dinosaurs in their in their businesses, people who don't change, don't want to change, get angry about change, actively stop change yeah. in the business. Uh, and often they, they have, a, have a face like they're sucking on a pickle as well because they're kind of angry about the, yeah. the, that as well. And And then I talk about winning teams only have the best players and the best players are either sort of brought in or they're trained up, but they they don't sort of evolve naturally. You've got, you've got to input into that relationship. And uh, so, yeah, training, um, absolutely 
crucial, uh, I think. Uh, I know, and I've seen that a lot. Now, the car accident thing, mm. when you were talking about that, often people are anchored by those things. You said it knocked your confidence, yeah. so held it back. Uh, there can be a divorce, it anchors people. There can be death of a loved one or, or, or uh, a key member of family or extended family, and it anchors them back. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm always talking about everything in life, every system, every person, every product, every uh, experience is an anchor or a propeller. And what do you think it was that from that fear, you said about your mum sort of got mm-hmm. you back in the saddle, as it were, yep. or back in the seat, got you to drive. But what else helped pull you through that because there are always i'm conscious uh, mentoring 40 plus businesses i've got some that have actually tried to commit suicide in the last year some that are bust some that are dealing with drug addiction divorce all these things at any one point in time and i see how it can transition someone from you know mr mr or mrs positive to it just changes them yeah and they get in a dark place and i try and bring them through that and sort of say well I can tell you what I tell you and I can help you in some ways, but you need to go and get help. And a lot of business people or individuals get anchored by that experience and never go and get the help they need. Did you get any professional help with that? Or was it just kind of working through with your mom and your nan and granddad with that support? What? No, I, I didn't actually. And um, probably the psychological effect that it had um, going back now, I, probably should have done um I I guess there is a little piece of actually you just got to kind of keep facing your fears and I think an old Yiddish saying that my grandfather used to use was that you know man plans and God laughs and to a point you've just got to accept that some things are out of your control so ironically then I've spent you know a decade traveling 30 40,000 miles a year um right now you know I drive up and down the A1 many many miles every day um and the irony isn't isn't lost on me and sadly I have kind of been driven into um, the back of the car three or four times more after that. So yeah, younger Charlotte, make sure you get a car with a you know, tow bar or something on the back, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. just accept you, you know, you can't control it. Um, try and face your fear, be brave. What's the worst that can happen? Um, and just make sure that you keep, you know, working on it really. Yeah, no, and I think that's, that's really important. I've heard that or version of that Yiddish shame before in terms of, you know, God laughs at people who think they've got a plan. Some people, though, use that to say, so there's no point in having a plan. Uh, and, you know, it reminded me of a story where, you know, a guy's tending his garden and he's obviously very proud and it's beautiful. Uh, and a couple walk along and they look into the garden. They say, oh, God's really blessed you with a beautiful garden. Uh, and he turns around and says, yeah, but you should have seen it when he had it to himself. And so, you know, <laughs> we can look at fate and just assume that whatever we do, fate's going to happen. But I think sometimes you have to lend it a hand or it brings you an opportunity, but you've got to take that. You've got to work on that. You've got to build on that. Yeah. It's not going to do it all for you. And a similar saying I saw last week, it was like, um, I wanted to learn and God gave me problems. Uh, I wanted... Um, love and and uh, and god gave me challenges or, or brought me someone who needed help or something like that and it yeah. was almost just sometimes we want the the end result but it's the journey that really gives us what we need you've and got that to process yeah. you've got to be accountable for your own actions and you know face the fact that you're going to get side wins and you know the route forwards might not be totally what you planned, but at the end of it, did you do everything that you could or the mistakes that you made, did you learn from them? Because that's a really important bit, but you've got to be accountable and, you know, own it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So we talked a lot about mum and grandparents. Father figure? Uh, yeah, plenty. Um, so, you know, my dad uh, was a green grace, very hardworking um, grandfather, massive part of, of my life. Um, and then I, I lovingly call my stepfather Papa G. He's always okay. the, he's the man I phone when I'm in trouble, if the you know something's broken or you know, the car's broken down. So my mum mm. tends to know it's probably not good news if I phoned him um, and not her and and lots of uncles, as I say, you know, yeah. my uh, uncle George, the sort of regiment officer. Um, you know, all of them have played such a big light part in my life, actually, of getting me out um, playing football and rugby and cricket with, you know, my cousins as well. Yeah. So brilliant. Because uh, I do think it's really important that there's that kind of male and female energy in children's lives. And certainly growing up, and when I say children, you know, I'm conscious that they say a dog, a puppy's not just for Christmas. I, I, I foolishly thought when we had kids that once they're 18, they'll go and do their own thing. But you realise there's always a need. And actually, you start to need that need. It, it, be, it becomes a thing that... But equally, my father buggered off and left us homeless when I uh, when I was four, and uh, it was a tough time for many many years after. Uh, and I unashamedly say the world's full of a lot of sperm donors out there. And when people say blood's thicker than water, I say bullshit. You know, <laughs> the, the the often there's a lot of dads out there that are terrible, and I don't say it's easy for them. And I'm not attacking men or fathers, but often. Yeah. Uh, and I see too many examples of it. The women are having to do that. And the stepfathers and the uncles and the neighbours uh, can play that role much better than the blood relative. So to me, it's like, look at what you have got. My stepdad was a violent person. But I can look beyond that and see some of the great stuff he gave me. Uh, and the fact he was there to support us uh, and so on. So uh, I think good, bad, challenging or easy all of it is part of the recipe that makes us the the world class meal that we become yeah. with, with a bit of luck and and I think just looking back at that and realizing that some of the best parenting isn't soft parenting yeah. uh, and you need to sort of blend of uh, of both male and female energies and I say energies because some women have got male energy some men have got female energy and some couples are the other way round and you know there's gay couples who one have got they've probably still got a male and female energy and I think that's really important in any child's life and it, uh, it, it, it's part of what we need but um, I know we've got about five minutes left uh, so I want to get into your life has been about business Make UK was helping yep. businesses um, as an engineer, I suspect you look at it quite um, strategically in terms of understanding it. How does it work? Which bits don't work? How can we improve the bits that don't work and evolve uh, and so on? Um, as you've come now across the chamber and s different businesses, similar challenges, I guess. What if you were to say, I think these are the three biggest businesses, that, uh, challenges that business yep. face. And these are the three biggest opportunities that business have. What would they be? Yeah. So sadly, I, I should take more ownership for it myself. Um, I didn't end up being an engineer. I went down a biomedical science route. Oh, um, right. Okay. So Mr. No, no. Mr. Mr. Hornsby, you know, probably be really cross with me. But <laughs> actually, you know, as a society, we're really good at saying, oh, well, you know, you're a girl, so you should go and be a doctor, a lawyer or a vet. Um, and I always sort of wonder what what could have been, um, but that was the route that I went down. And, well, a scientist is, is, yeah, is equally science, research. Yeah, and, ab absolutely. Um, in terms of the key challenges that I've seen consistently, I think for the last three years, right at the top of the pops, it's it's about accessing talented people, yeah. both that mixture of trying to recruit a new generation in, trying to retain the people that you've got, but also trying to attract people from other career paths into 
um, you know, different parts, different sectors within the business community. So labor challenges, certainly a huge issue. Um, inflation. So we've got, you know, rising input costs. We've got energy challenges. I'm sure they will come to the fore once again as we enter the sort of autumn and winter period. Um, and there's supply chain challenges. Even if you're not, you know, at the front line of manufacturing, you might be a bus operator who can't invest in the next generation of vehicles because you're waiting on semiconductors, etc. So for yeah. me, they're the three issues. Where do I see the opportunities? We've got a prime opportunity um, to change the way that we engage people and how we put employers at the heart of the skill system. So as a chamber, we're really proud to be the employer representative body that's leading the local skills improvement plan. And this is about putting the employer's needs. What are those softer skills? How do we simplify the language? Let's hide the wiring as what looks quite complicated yeah. and make sure that we're bringing local government and education and business all together to, to ultimately give people better prospects. They get a better job. They get paid more, pay more tax. And it goes back into the yeah. local community. Yeah. That's the kind of so what. Uh, we've got a great opportunity to uh, digitalize, to decarbonize. So how do we try and become more sustainable, but we can't cut off our nose to spite our face. You know, this is about reducing costs. This is about innovating and creating products that will help other businesses reduce their carbon emissions and hopefully um, help economies all around the world to also do so. Um, so for me, I think there's some of the really great opportunity around people's a cleaner future, a more sustainable future, but also using technology to our advantage. Um, and of course, international trade is so important. We're, we're an island nation over half of, well, yeah. about half of what we, we manufacture gets exported. And again, that's how we bring true wealth back to the UK economy that pays for the roads, the schools, you know, supports our communities. And at the Chamber, I'm exceptionally proud that, you know, we're supporting businesses with quite technical documentation, um, but we're providing advice, guidance. We've got, you know, we're one of 53 accredited chambers in the UK, but there's nearly 80 British chambers all around the yeah. world. So we've got these kind of local routes, but our reach is global. So how do we support those trade missions? How do we open businesses' eyes to the fact that you can export? And, you know, I'd recommend any anybody... Uh, I'm biased towards Cambridge Chamber of Commerce because uh, I, I'm on the board with you as our uh, as our leader. Um, but check out the Chamber of Commerce in every county. Um, 57? Uh, 53. 53 chambers across the UK. Look at some of those events. Check them out. And what always amazed me is until I got connected properly, I hadn't appreciated just what great value it was. Uh, and I'm not doing that as a sell, but it's comfortably less than a cup of coffee every day absolutely and yet you get the sort of hr help the legal help the help on getting into import export the 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 networking to other businesses that can help you you know there's always someone willing to point you in the right direction at the end of a phone so uh you're not on your own even though four million businesses are on their own as one individual so i i encourage um that you also mentioned you mentioned technology there digitalized and so on uh and earlier you mentioned ai and yeah you know i see i hear sort of some people say oh you know uh we were at an event last week and i was conscious that somebody said um oh it, you shouldn't use it because it's gonna give the same answer every time I didn't want to disagree at the time. It absolutely does not give the same answer every time. And it's down to the question you put into it. You know, if you say, uh, write this in the style of Margaret Thatcher or write, the, you know, it would write it yep. very differently. Or what, how would this post be? 
as a, a plumbing business or a plumbing business in the north, it, it can start to distinguish and it's evolving all the time. Will it replace people? Absolutely not. I, I you know, to me, I look at something and say, that's a beautiful cabinet. And one of my old mentors used to say, what made that cabinet? And I said, I don't know, a saw or a, a chisel. I said, no, no, they didn't. They were just tools. It was a person who used those tools to make it stunning, mm-hmm. you know, and those tools in the hands of an idiot would not make that cabinet. So it's just a tool. Uh, it can be um, an amazing addition to people who want to achieve something and it can be a tool that can save them a lot of money and a lot of time. What are your thoughts on it? And do you think business should worry about it, should embrace it, should... Uh, should we as the chamber be doing some training courses on how to use AI or how I could, AI, AI can help your business? So I have a bit of a flippant one-liner that robots are going to take your jobs, but you're going to get a better one. You know, if you'd have right. gone back to the farmers in the 1800s, they'd have been petrified, I'm sure, to see a John Deere roaming around with someone you know, selling grain on their mobile phone. These things do evolve, don't they? Um, and I <clears> think that, I mean, I definitely saw it during COVID-19. Those that had already... Um, adopted were certainly more resilient. So it's definitely a case of go out, kick the tires, you know, learn what don't you know. And that's the power of our community because you're there able to share experiences, not just don't chase the technology, yeah. make sure you're using the technology to enable and resolve the problem. We've got labor shortages. So why on earth are we not implementing technology to, you know, boost productivity, make us more competitive? But also, it might give us some more equitable workplaces. It might enable yeah. people that historically have not been able to fulfill a particular role that they will be able to to do so. And we want to make sure that as a chamber, we're digitally enabled. We're just bringing in some really cool systems at the moment yeah. that will help our members access information in a really timely fashion, a very personalized way. Um, but also, it's our duty to... And be able to raise the awareness, but especially to bring that forum together of who are the useful people who can inspire those thoughts. Um, you know, there is, there's legislation and there will be law and there will be regulation. So how do we help, you know, protect those businesses to do it in the right way as well? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's um that's a really good point about about this kind of evolution piece as well, because I, I remember similar conversations going on about when tv came out they thought it would be the death of radio and yet there's more radio stations now than ever before in time and help the, the evolution of the podcast yeah. is, a, is a is a format of that that as well i guess we can't stop change is, is a reality and and therefore i guess with business generally and also with chamber i think in somewhat we're there to help uh, support facilitate that change because it's happening whether we like it or not uh, and I remember the um, one, another one of my mentors saying change or be changed but change will happen uh, and on that note what's the future like for you 10 years time what do you think you're going to be up to what, what's your ambitions uh, obviously you're going to stay in the chamber forever <laughs> no but you know what what do you see yourself doing in 10 years do you have a, a thought on that so I, I think in the last week, um, a report's just come out really boasting that Cambridge itself um, has beaten lots of other territories to say, you know what, we are the world-class cluster in terms of science, technology. Um, but actually, my ambition is that we need to make sure that that wider economy of Cambridgeshire and Stamford also benefits, that yeah. we talk about research and development. Development is really important as well. And, you know, we can create really great jobs in local economy, but also distribution. Um, yeah. So how do we make sure that we've got that joined up economy that's a, a fair economy, but absolutely remains as a world leader? So I want to make sure that through 
our voice and representation as the Cambridgeshire Chambers of Commerce, that we're able to pull those key players together to enable um, that kind of equitable growth over the, the next decade. And with that, you know, I want to see that we develop our own team within the chamber. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I've had the benefit of having some extremely great line managers, um, leaders, mentors, and I want to make sure that our people have got the opportunity to develop, develop in the chamber, but also then to apply you know, the skills, the techniques, the knowledge that we're able to give them to support our local business community. It's the so what that's always really important. Yeah, yeah. It's Don't, don't give me the data, tell me what it means. Don't give me the answer, help, help me understand the answer to grow my own knowledge for the future. Absolutely. So thanks for that. That's been amazing. Um, and, and I would add that, you know, much of my time is pulled in all sorts of different directions. The Chamber for me is always a must-attend event, whether it's the informals or the business breakfasts, uh, the board meetings and so on, because I do know that your network is your net worth. And, and you know, it's a flippant statement, but I know that we are the average of the people we spend most time with. If we want to be evolving, we need to be with people that are moving forward, not people that are anchored back. Uh, and uh, certainly you mentioned Cambridgeshire, you know, one of the things that, I feel lucky to live in this area. I love Peterborough, I love Stamford, but part of Cambridgeshire um, is that we are the top of the UK innovation corridor, the UK's Silicon Valley, 380 billion pounds worth of, of future-based businesses in that corridor from the Thames, the M11, the A1, with Peterborough and Cambridgeshire at the top of it. But also we're the core part of the Oxbridge Arc. So we benefit from two amazing future-based geographies uh, that, that are a key part of the UK. So if you live somewhere else, apologies, but we, this is a great place if you're looking for somewhere else to live. But thank you for your time. Thank you. If Mike. you've enjoyed it, then do share, like, subscribe, come back and see us again on Success as a System. Uh, and we hope you get value and put it into your business. Do check out the Chamber of Commerce. Thank you.